MFs, welcome back. Hustle like you broke. Coronacation is upon us as always. June 18 is the timestamp on today. Coronavirus cases appear to be down overall in the country, but seem to be going back up in a number of places. The esteemed Dr. Fauci is warning we are still in the first wave, but our self-proclaimed genius of a president is either in denial or knows that it is politically against his best interest to acknowledge. So he said, and I quote in an interview today, that the number of cases that remain are minuscule and that this will be gone before long. We can only hope. If you look at the news across the world, and I have to admit, I have taken to avoiding most American news sources on account of bias, both left and right. It certainly doesn't look good for us over here. You see that cases are down. They're essentially gone in Iceland, granted a remote territory, in New Zealand, again, remote island. Uh, but it does show what's possible. It does tell us that there, there are places where life is back to normal, and there is hope, I'd like to believe there's hope, that all of us will get back to normal before long. On the other hand, most of the headlines in this country are scathing against the doofus-in-chief. Uh, Supreme Court blocks his uh, cancellation of the DACA, otherwise known as the Dreamer Immigration Program today. Thank goodness for that. Again, more black men in America being shot and killed. The half-brother of a black man who was killed by police last week was found hanged today. Not even know, sure where to go with that. But Facebook finally takes a stand. First it was Twitter, thank goodness, now Facebook, who people had been condemning for a while there. Zuckerberg seemed like he might be aligned with, with dear leader for a time there. But today, apparently, he has finally taken down a Trump ad, claiming it violated their hate policy. Can you fucking imagine this? Violating a hate policy, the president of the United States, referencing dangerous mobs of far-left groups and an underground triangle, which the Anti-Defamation League said is practically identical to that used by the Nazi regime to classify political prisoners in concentration camps. It's not, if that is not fucking disgraceful, if everybody doesn't see it, I don't know. I don't even want to go down the road of the comparisons to Trump as a fucking Nazi, but there it is. Anyway, taking a deep breath, refocusing on what's good in the world. Sports are coming back. Again, Major League Baseball, close, NBA coming back, golf is happening, the Premier League is happening. I said on another episode, I will say again, 
in the debut of the Premier League, all sports teams took a knee before the start of play, wore Black Lives Matter on the back of their shirts in place of their names. If that isn't a strong statement, I don't know what is. The fact that it's coming from another country is appreciated, but a little bit sad. I hope our sports teams can adapt certain of those principles. I hope the commissioners will allow that. Looking at you, Goodell. Words are one thing, actions are another. But speaking of New Zealand, festivals are returning this summer. Can anyone imagine festivals returning this summer? We've got two of my esteemed co-hosts with us today. Sadly, Mr. Hamilton had another commitment. We will miss his witty repartee, but we will move forward without him. Christine Dallas, welcome. Hello there, team. How are we? Fantastic. Thank you for asking. And Chris Lee, my brother Banks. Hello. Hello there. Hello there. How's it going? How's it going? I mean, no sign of festivals returning in this country, but how do you feel about them coming back to New Zealand? I would love to go down and play a, a festival down in New Zealand. You know, we had great times in New Zealand a couple years ago. I love New Zealand. I think it would be amazing. Um, I, I mean, I, I know that they've definitely done better than we have with physical distancing, with sheltering in place, you know, so kudos to them. I mean, they got it right. They did it. They flattened the curve. Um, Not only flattened the curve, they literally eliminated all cases. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just people obeying and, you know, that delayed gratification. It's not going to kill you if you stay at home. But if you do leave, I mean, shit. I, for one, would be more than happy to spend two weeks self-quarantining in New Zealand in order to spend time there. Auckland, I've said many times, Spark Arena is my favorite venue in the world. And what was the name of that little town in the southern islands that we were for a few days there, Chris? Dunedin. That place was amazing. Dunedin. Dunedin. I loved Dunedin. I would definitely go back there. Dallas, were you with us for that? I was not there with you for that. But I do love New Zealand as well. I think we should all consider relocation. I'm just saying. Well, as an Australian, it's a little too close to home to not be actually at home in Australia. But. Well, Australia is finally doing better, too. They are looking at plans for reopening. They're at the point where they're talking about shows resuming there as well, albeit in a limited capacity at first. The government and the live events uh, industry seem to be working together, at least communicating. They, they supported, what was it, $347 billion or something like that? Is it billion or was it million? I don't even know. It might have been million. Um, but a lot of money. To, to, you know, go to the, to specifically to the entertainment industry. And they're asking entertainment professionals about ways to reopen. They're working together in common cause to resume large-scale gatherings. I think I referenced before, there was a 2,000 capacity event happening in Adelaide. And, um, I mean, it's, it's, 
I, I love it there too. I could definitely live on the Gold Coast. I could be very, very happy there. I, I, I think that all of us should should consider the trip. That said, another headline we're seeing across Europe is the concept of contact tracing applications that are popping up left and right. There are those that say that that is an essential component of what's happening or what needs to happen in order for large-scale events events to take place again. I think our guest today knows a little something about that. I'd also be remiss not to point out, we actually do have our first large-scale gathering coming back to this country in two days. It was supposed to be tomorrow on Juneteenth in Tulsa, Oklahoma, of all places. I'm referring to it as a comedy show, although it's by no means my brand of humor. But I'm not sure what else to call it because the doofus stands up and he tells fables and fictitious tales and makes fun of people and tells jokes about the Democrats and... Yeah, I'm talking about our fucking president of the United States because that's what he is. It's a fucking joke. But 19,000 people at the box center, will they all be allowed entry? Will there be distancing measure in place? They're talking about taking temperatures. It's one thing. They're talking about giving away masks. That's another. I appreciate that. I think it is the ultimate irony that they were supposed to sign a waiver that if they got the COVID-19 while in attendance, they could not sue at an event where the idiot on the podium is going to be talking about COVID-19 being a hoax. Takes a special kind of stupid. We got some of those. But our guest is not one. Our guest today knows a lot about internet technologies. Our guest today is someone we've all worked with a number of times over the years. Uh, Looking over his bio, he's a lot smarter than me, so excuse me if I come off looking a little bit dumb today. I try to avoid it, but uh, I I mean, I had to look up words like ISP. Okay, I'm exaggerating slightly. But he studied music business at the Southern Southern Illinois University. He started one of the first commercial ISPs in 1994 in the Chicago area. ISP is Internet Service Provider, for those who don't know. He provided IT solutions. I believe those are Internet technology solutions to venues as early as 1997 which is going back quite a ways. Things have changed a lot since then, and I can't wait to hear about that. He developed the first mobile touring mobile office platform. Let me say that again. He developed the first touring mobile office platform in 2006. He provides internet solutions to major festivals across the U.S., ranging from Boston Calling in my neck of the woods to EDC Las Vegas, much closer to my brother Banks. He works with eSports events. He works in the touring capacity and has been on the road 
and or provided solutions for everyone from Justin Timberlake and Jay-Z to Drake and Kendrick Lamar to Kid Rock and Alicia Keys and Carrie Underwood and Bush and the list goes on and on across all genre. Josh Groban, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Meatloaf, The Cult, BTS, who I remind our fans the other day donated a million dollars to Black Lives Matter and then had their fans match that million too. Special shout out in line. But I appreciate him being with us today from Backstage Networks, Dave Bauman. Thank you, Matthew. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with everyone. Well, we feel very fortunate to have you. I think that it is especially timely again in light of the number of apps that are coming up talking about that will require internet solutions with the, the talk of the future of the industry and the growing need for internet solutions again for it. Um, but, but take us back to the beginning. Tell us about your humble beginnings whether in music or otherwise, and how you came to be one of those people who really is increasingly on the cutting edge of what is increasingly known as a technology-based industry. Well, I think you covered a a good portion of it. Uh, Growing up, uh, I was heavily focused on music. Uh, My mom originally forced me into taking piano lessons that eventually evolved into trumpet. Uh, I did go to college, and uh, originally uh, my focus was music business. Uh, Southern Illinois University in Carbondale, it's it's about a three- or four-hour drive from Nashville. Uh, So we spent a lot of time in Nashville uh, uh, in lectures by industry professionals. Uh, So it was a a very interesting uh, uh, area of study for me. It's something that I was, you know, very much interested in, uh, you know, throughout my college career, I did flip around a little bit. I looked at, uh, not just music business, but music therapy in the, in the, uh, psychiatric, uh, field, uh, music performance. Uh, I had a, uh, a huge focus on jazz and classical music. Uh, and I also had, a a significant interest in recording studio technology. Um, so, my college career went from roughly 1989 through 1994. Uh, this thing called the internet started to come around in 94. The first web brow- the first graphical web browser, uh, Mosaic, was introduced uh, uh, in 1993, 1994. Uh, so I actually left college a little bit early before achieving my degree uh, to investigate what this internet thing was. Uh, I was always very techno savvy uh, as a kid, you know, always, I was always the person that my teachers would come to for help with the computers in the classroom. Uh, I had been involved in the bulletin board system community, BBS, if you're not familiar, was basically a, mini- a miniature internet that you and your friends, maybe four, eight, 12, if it was a large BBS, you know, maybe 20 something people could dial in with an analog modem and share information and chat, download files, which would take you know, hours to days sometimes to download. I mean, this is, you know, again, back in, uh, you know, pre-internet times when we were all using analog modems. Uh, But that is what's originally sparked my interest in technology uh, and entertainment. Uh, 
when I moved back to Chicago after uh, leaving college, I started a, a small internet company called Interglobal Communications. I had a couple partners. We ran that for a couple years. We didn't really align together from a business perspective. So I left that company and uh, was brought into a new startup called ANET Internet Solutions or ANET.com. And I was with that organization uh, from roughly 1996 through 2004 before we sold the company uh, to Cogent Communications. Uh, during that time with ANET is uh, both CTO and, and COO at different times. I managed hundreds of thousands of residential and business subscribers from dial-up, ISDN, DSL, technology is not really being used anymore. Um, uh, fixed wireless systems, meshed wireless systems, and data center systems. Uh, part of also what we did at the time was to manage the IT infrastructure and provide internet for uh, concert venues, entertainment venues in the Midwest, mostly in the Chicagoland market, uh, the Allstate Arena, the first Midwest Bank Amphitheater, Charter One Pavilion, uh, and a handful of other pre-Live Nation uh, indoor and outdoor venues. Um, and, and that's sort of what got me into uh, the live event space, both touring and both, you know, on the other side, when we talk about festivals and corporate events and higher EDU, because uh, they are two different animals, but um, that, that was really my introduction into the live event space. Um, and what specifically got us or me involved uh, originally, what would be touring, uh, a partner of mine was managing a, a tour at the Allstate Arena, and this was back in 2005, I think. Uh, Steve Dixon, great production manager, was there on a tour. I don't remember the artist he was managing at the time, but, you know, he came to us and said, you know, I got this little Linksys Wi-Fi box. If you remember those little antenna ear things from a long time ago, you know, I got this little Vonage system. I got this printer and none of it works. It's, it's always a headache. I always have to have someone mess with it half the day before these things are working properly if they ever work at all. You know, internet at venues wasn't so great at the time. Uh, so he asked us, like, can you build me a system that just works? You know, so we went back and we thought about it. And, you know, we developed back then we called it the uh, 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 office in a box originally, sort of a stupid name. Uh, but it, it then became to be known as our touring mobile office platform, uh, which in a nutshell is a road case with uh, data networking equipment that allows you to plug in power, plug in a venue provided internet connection, or maybe use an LTE backup if needed. Um, and within five minutes, you have the same internet you had at the last venue, you have the same phone service that you had at the last venue, and you'll have for the rest of the tour, uh, a, a higher quality uh, uh, network printer, uh, and scanner and faxing device that can actually print high-resolution PDFs and CADs. Um, so that was really our, our, our introduction into the touring world. And that product has evolved over the years. Uh, you know, today we're, the system is uh, different bits and pieces, different make and models of equipment, but we've added the ability to add uh, IP video surveillance for back of house uh, and some other features as well. Uh, but, you know, the, the core focus of the platform was to make it easy and simple uh, and powerful uh, so, you know, when a PA is loading in, they just plug it in and it works. And, you know, assuming that the venue IT folks did their job and activated your, your port the night before, 
you know, we usually never hear from our customers until they're ready to return the gear. David, I think that brings up a good um, thought I had. What, what inspired you to come up with this in the first place? I mean, I know what a valuable, you know, from, from my perspective, having worked with your mobile office, so to speak, I know what a valuable tour, tool it is. Um, and it's just been unbelievably critical for me in my experience of touring, particularly in certain um, specific roles that I have. But what even gave you the idea to come up with such a thing? Did was that how did you come across that or come around? Well, that? I mean, it was, it was Steve Dixon. I mean, he's he addressed us with an issue. He said, "Here's my problem as a production manager in a production office. None of this stuff works. Can you build something that works?" So you know, we were presented with a challenge and an issue, and uh, uh, not just a technical problem, but a business problem as well, right? So uh, you know, that was really the start of it. So, you know, I'll give him the credit for, you know, asking us like how to fix it. And, you know, we, we came up with a solution and at the time um, it wasn't a great of a solution as what we have today. Um, you know, for example, uh, you know, back then we'd have to have somebody remote available, like almost every day of the tour, just in case there was any issues. Um, now with the technology and some of the changes we made to the platform, we just literally ship it out or drop it off at a production rehearsal, show them how to use it. it takes maybe about 30 minutes and we're done. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, you know, to you know, add on to that, your question a little bit, um, you know, when I met you for the, the JT and uh, Jay-Z Stadium tour in 2013, you know, part of the reason that I went on that tour, A, I was asked by the PM uh, to, to, to go. So I did. Um, but, but really I wanted to go to learn the touring business, uh, firsthand, you know, at, at that time prior to 2013, you know, all we knew was what we were asking. Uh, all we knew what is what the production managers and some other crew staff were communicating with us. But until you're actually on tour and understand how loadings work and how crazy shit is on tour, um, you know, that, that was a, 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 you know, huge for me, you know, after that tour, you know, we made some fundamental changes on how we build the road cases, you know, they're, uh, they've always been truck pack dimensions, but, you know, we use, you know, better materials, lighter materials. We changed where the equipment was positioned in the rack. Cause you know, you don't want to have people bending over or tripping over cables. Uh, you need easier access to the, to the printer cavity. Um, so, you know, our, you know, sort of vision and, uh, our motivation for this just really comes from, you know, the touring professionals and what their needs are and how we can make their lives easier. And, and if I could just jump in real quick in Dallas, I, I like where you're going with the questions, but I just want to paint the picture for our listeners out there that don't understand large scale touring or haven't been on the road, you know, you arrive into a venue at whatever time um, and, you know, and, and you wake up, you know, on your bus and you walk into your office and one might think, oh, every venue has Internet and we can just take the code off the wall. But, you know, the luxury of just hitting the ground running to have the, you know, the 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 code preloaded to not have to worry about it from day to day to have to realign your printer in order to print something, scan something, the number of people that would be coming into the office who don't even look at the, the password on the wall, if it's even there saying, can you tell me what the password is today? 
is a huge, huge headache. And to have this simple solution where you simply wheel it in and plug it in and everybody is up and operational that quickly. And, and especially for somebody like Dallas who referenced briefly, as we know, her specialty is backstage management. And that is a huge job in terms of getting people acclimated and set up and, and ready to go. And, and, and it would just be an unbelievable headache for her as much as anyone else. So to have this, turnkey internet solution is absolutely critical in my mind for a tour that it sometimes can have as many as 150 plus people on the road. I'm sorry, please go ahead. If I could, though, I think an interesting point to this is that we don't, we as touring people do not get the support from the venue, which is where you, in, in pragmatic sense, you would think you're renting the building. It would be so obvious for them to provide a quality system for internet because we are so internet based, but yet they do not. And this is great that Dave has the ability to come in and build systems that allow us to just not even have, we don't even have to have the conversation with the building until you get into certain areas of the building. And that could be a whole nother episode. (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, to your point though, the, the, the box is, is half of the system or half of the service rather. So, and, and, and there's, there's not really any intellectual property in the make and model of the equipment we use. I would argue that, you know, maybe, you know, how we configure it, uh, you know, might be a little bit special, but, um, you know, uh, more so the value I think that we bring in addition to, you know, a rock solid box um, is our IT router. I mean, we have spent years developing an IT router that works everywhere and gets a point across that you need that internet live before you load in. And don't assume that it's working because it worked the night before because at loadout, you know, some person could have, uh, tripped over the ethernet cable plugged into the wall or when they went to load out they pulled too hard and messed up the ethernet jack um and and there's some technical things in there that help ensure that uh the the experience of the internet platform is is going to be very uh, simple and easy and just work um so we have the it rider aspect and we also help advance so you know we'll reach out to the venue it folks and have conversations on the production's behalf so you guys don't have to worry about it you know we we talk to them, we have calls, we tell them what we're going to be doing, how we're going to be doing it, and we iterate over and over how important it is to have their drops ready to go, working, no cabling issues, be on the right VLAN, and then we're cool. Because our platform, I mean, it just works. Unless someone drops it down the stairs, um, it's, it's always going to be rock solid. I think it's also worth noting to Dallas's point before, a lot of the venues that do have internet in-house charge through the nose for use of it. And the amount that you use it, I don't know if, I'd be curious over time whether pricing levels out, uh, but, but it is exceptionally expensive. And often to have a solution like Dave provides is not only easier, but it's more cost effective, a lot more cost effective, one might say. Yeah, it, it can be. I mean, it, it depends on the venue. You know, some of them, they just give you the internet for free, uh, which is great. Uh, but, you know, having the box still provides some significant value. And then there's some venues where they're like, okay, you want an internet drop? $5,000. 
sometimes more, sometimes less. So, you know, that that's a lot of money for internet. Um, you know, over the past, you know, year or so, we've actually expanded our networking footprint into a lot of large stadiums uh, and some other uh, just regular arena style venues. Uh, so we now have the ability to provide those internet drops uh, it, it, it pretty much every football stadium, most baseball stadiums, you know, any large stadium, 20,000 plus, uh, we probably either have our network in or we have a partner network in uh, where we can get that service delivered uh, sometimes at, at a much lower uh, price point than you can from getting it from the venue directly. But yeah, to your point, uh, it, you know, Wi-Fi system, if you want Wi-Fi all over for the production back of house, uh, in the bowl, uh, you might spend thousands and thousands per show uh, just to have that ability. And it doesn't always work that great. I was just going to say, and also they buffer it. So you can't even get, you know, like for large formats, if you need to move something Dropbox. digitally. Yeah. You can't even utilize it. Yeah. So, you know, it's another reason why it's so valuable to have something like what you're offering. Yep. I appreciate that. You know, it, it, it it's a product we're very proud of. Um, I would like to say we were the first, but there was actually one other company. I can't remember their name. They, they're long gone, but I think Jake Barry had a stake in them. Uh, but it was basically like a small road case with like a Linksys router and a Vonage modem. It was basically the solution that, you know, Dixon had come to us that said that wasn't working. Um, but I, I had never heard of them before that and never even knew of any mobile office platform. But, um, you know, the, the way the platform exists today, I mean, we were the first. And there's other companies that are doing similar uh, deployments. And, um, you know, we're, we're really proud of that. So tell us a little more about the evolution of the mobile office platform. If you well, the logic behind it really hasn't changed too much. It's, uh, you know, truck packed ends, lightweight as much as possible, but sturdy, uh, plug and play, two cables, power and Ethernet. Um, we, we have evolved into the LTE space because LTE uh, has become more reliable and it's become faster. And I think with 5G, happening at some point, you know, probably not too soon, but within the next couple of years, I think 5G will be more prevalent. Um, you know, we'll have the ability to even maybe bypass the venue altogether. Uh, but with bonded LTE systems, I mean, we're seeing anywhere from 50 megabits per second, sometimes up to 250 megabits per second uh, of download uh, capabilities, which compared to some venues is a lot more than they're going to provide you by default. Um, but we've changed printers, we've changed firewalls over the years, we've changed IP phones. Uh, you know, one of the newer iterations of of the box or the platform is the ability for uh, an easy to deploy video surveillance system, primarily for back of house. Um, so if you wanted to have that little extra security uh, where you have an IP video system with a web-based uh, NVR system so you can pull up all the cameras, we can push it into the cloud, we can record uh, all the video that, that had occurred that day. So if there's ever an issue backstage, back of house, uh, you have it fully recorded. You know, so that, that's that's fantastic. that's one aspect uh, that uh, we're working on now. Um, and, you know, with COVID and everything else going on, we've developed some other platforms and systems. They're really more designed for uh, like festivals or other one-off live events, whether it's corporate or educational or, or like an esports event. Uh, but something that usually happens over the course of, you know, a several day load in, you know, maybe like a two to three day event and then a load out. Uh, so we have a, you know, a handful of, uh, you know, different features and technologies uh, that we've developed for that side of the live event space. 
um, that that's pretty interesting as well. Uh, but for like back a house, the, the the logic has been pretty much the same over the years. We're just making it bigger, better, stronger, and faster. Um, you know, one you know cool aspect. I mean, this is you know years that we've been providing this, but the ability uh, to have one box, but to be able to then deploy uh, integrated Wi-Fi all over the venue and actually be on the same network. So that's something that we we started working on a few years ago. It's highly reliable now because I mean Christine remembers. You know, sometimes we have to deploy like two, three, four, six boxes, um, you know, all over back a house uh, to be able to get the type of coverage we need. We can now do that with one box. Uh, and then we have, uh, you know, just more Wi-Fi devices that we're deploying. Dave, I had a question. You mentioned that in 2013 is when you first went out with a JT and J. What was the state of the industry at that time for accepting a, a tour to come in and to give them exactly <laughs> what they needed and, and how involved were you with pioneering and championing and making sure that, that these <clears throat> needs were met? Well, we had been providing the product and service for many years before that, you know, roughly beginning of 2006, I believe. Um, so we had been doing this a while. Uh, it would be rare, though, that we would actually go on tour with the gear. Uh, but the stadium tour was large enough uh, where they needed a dedicated IT body, um, although I'd argue that I was really dedicated because I was also the production assistant. So, you know, I had, at least on the stadium tour portion of that, you know, I had two jobs and it, you know, kept me very, very busy. Um, but, you know, I mean, back then it, it was challenging to, to sell the product because, I mean, we knew that there was value there. Uh, but for a lot of PMs, especially some of the older dogs, you know, this was an, an item, a, a line item on their spreadsheet for a cost that, you know, they're not accustomed to. They hadn't seen it before. They didn't maybe understand the value or they just didn't care. I mean, they can, you know, they're able to get the job done the past 10 years. Why do they need to spend this money now? Um, you know, I think today it's it's a much different story. I mean, the system, whether it's provided by my company or, or some other companies, um, it's 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 been used widely enough to where I think the value is is very understood. Um, and uh, you know, so today the conversation is much different. It was it was a hard sell, you know, between like 2006 and maybe like 2016. Um, you know, they just didn't want to have to deal with the extra cost. You know, was was our biggest challenge. Um, but they knew, you know, we, we knew they wanted it and, you know, there's a couple that didn't, but, um, you know, now it's a, it's a much easier sell. You know, funny, <laughs> funny aside, I, I, I just laughing in my own head here, I, a production manager that is uh, near and dear to all of us, I believe, um, who we're going to be having on the podcast soon. His name is Bobby Schneider. And I know Bobby was actually on that Jay-Z JT tour and uh, Bobby and I have worked together uh, a number of times. He's worked with, again, with all of us. Um, I just remember a time back around, I mean, I guess it was probably 06, 07, 08, receiving a writer from him. And I don't know why his stands out more than any other, but probably because it was one of the last writers that I saw that still asked for the phone number, the fax number, and the Wi-Fi code for every single building in his 
in his rider. One, because, you know, I, I just, I, I don't know. I guess it was, it's funny to me that he was asking for the Wi-Fi code and the fax number at the same time, recognizing that the buildings may or may not have both. He may be dealing with a situation where he doesn't have a Wi-Fi solution. So he's using their, the, the in-house phone number and fax machine. Again, we're talking before everybody had a cell phone too. Um, I, I guess they must have at that point, but office lines were provided in-house. It was just a different way of doing business. And um, I don't know, that was just funny. It, yeah. It, yeah, Bob, yeah, Bobby's been a, a huge supporter of ours for a long time. We're you know eternally grateful to his support because he got us in on a lot of really great tours, a lot of big tours uh, as well, and it re- you know really helped you know build our brand, build our name, you know allow us to you know get bigger and better uh, as a business. So you know when you know he finally you know became acclimated uh, you know to to our equipment and our service, he was a huge fan and. Uh, you know, I, you know, I can't say, you know, thank him enough for, you know, bringing us in on those, you know, original tours. So obviously the company is backstage networks. The primary focus is back of house, but you have done some transitioning into working with front of house solutions as well. Is that not right? Um, you know, I would say, you know, a, a few years ago, we were maybe like 80% touring and, and 20% like other types of live events like festivals. Uh, today, it's it's uh, almost reversed. Uh, so, you know, our support of large music festivals, food and beverage, uh, you know, major esports events, you know, we did the last couple uh, a Fortnite uh, World Cup events with like a thirty million dollar prize pool, where it required like an ultra reliable network. Uh, doing university hackathons, conferences, trade shows, you know, bringing us into conference centers where the incumbent internet company wants to charge them a hundred thousand dollars a week for a hundred meg internet connection, which really costs them only maybe like $12,000 a year, uh, you know, bringing us in to, you know, help cut costs and provide a better, uh, a, a better service and better platform. Uh, so, I mean, I, I would say, you know, we define ourselves as just a, a, a managed IT provider for live events and that, you know, could be tours, it could be festivals or could be any other type uh, of one-off type of an event. Now, I think anyone that's ever been to a large scale event from the audience perspective knows that as soon as you get into a large venue, as soon as it fills in, the quality of your internet goes down dramatically. And and especially when you go to a festival like Coachella, I mean, it, it can take hours for somebody to get a three word text from their friend who says, Hey, I'm in the next section over from you. Come on over here. Uh, but you do provide those solutions. Is that, is that right? Yeah, we, we do provide those solutions. So when, when you're looking at a large scale festival, you know, you, you know, Coachella is huge, obviously, but even smaller ones where they might only have like 20,000 attendees, uh, cell service typically, even in major markets does not work well or work at all. Uh, so the, you know, the festival producers, you know, their, their original answer to that was to bring in a, a cow or a cellular on wheels with specific cellular carriers like AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile and Sprint, you know, we're, we're sort of the big four. Uh, but, but even with those cows or cellular on wheels, those things really don't work well, uh, you know, at all. Uh, you might get 
you know, a textile, like you mentioned, it takes several minutes or, or even longer. Um, so a lot of what we do is we come in and provide, a, a, you know, a very purpose-built uh, Wi-Fi infrastructure. Um, you know, typically not over the whole festival ground because that can be very large and very expensive. And technically it can be done, but it just comes down to money. So, um you know, in a case like like a Coachella, we've never done Coachella, but in a case like a festival like uh, similar to that, uh, we would come in and we would you know talk with the with, with the owners and the producers and uh, you know come up with a, a plan and say, okay, well, you know, here's some areas where you know technically we think Wi-Fi would work well, uh, but more importantly, you know, how can we use Wi-Fi? Uh, to improve not just the attendee experience, but also improve sales. So that typically uh, revolves around putting these these Wi-Fi zones where point of sale happens. You know, merchandise, uh, uh, food and beverage, um, and you know we have statistics that show having you know a publicly available Wi-Fi in these areas does improve sales uh, at a at a rate that's pretty significant. Um, and then on top of that, you have the ability, uh, you have a whole marketing engine uh, with the capabilities to uh, have a splash, a branded splash page and sell advertising space uh, on that splash page, have landing pages, have ongoing rotating ads into the platform. So people are using this free Wi-Fi, but you know, they have to deal with a little ad here and there. So there's ways to generate revenue uh, off of that platform, which sometimes pays for itself and even provides a profit model, uh, of, of, you know, for that customer. Um, you know, the, you know, there's some other features and services that are, you know, part of our platform that we're able to retool, uh, you know, which we think will help uh, in the reopening of, you know, some of these types of live events. Uh, Location-based services, for example, it's it's a feature that we've had for a very long time. Um, and if you don't understand uh, location-based services or LBS, um, it's basically a Wi-Fi-based service that runs on our back end. That allows our customers, like the festival owners, to gather uh, key customer insights and develop new engagement models. So like retailers, stadiums, venues, like any type of live event uh, can utilize this LBS platform to interact with the users, uh, not just based on their precise location, uh, but also interact with them even after the event's over via social media, uh, with a social media uh, plugin like Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, you know, whatever the other, you know, popular social media platforms are, you can force someone to, uh, you know, like your page or log in using a social media uh, login. So, you know, now you have all that demographic information. Uh, the platform also provides key data like footfall traffic vis visualizations using a heat map. Um, so you, you know, at any given time where the physical bodies are at uh, in a live event. And so we've retooled this LBS service, which is really originally intended as a marketing product and we're developing it into a safety product. So, uh, you know, when events start to happen again and, you know, assuming sooner than later, or hopefully sooner than later, you know, we're going to help these, uh, these, uh, events go live safer. Um, and that will provide the event owners, managers, producers, the ability to understand where physical bodies are located at. Um, and there's other technologies out there. I mean, there's, artificial intelligence applications that can plug into uh, some video surveillance platforms that give you an idea of where all this footfall traffic is at. Uh, there's heat sensing cameras that can tell you where all, you know, all the physical bodies are at. Um, so there's different ways to, to skin that cat, I guess, but you know, we're a Wi-Fi company. And since we're already likely going to be supplying your event 
with a Wi-Fi based service, um, you know, in the age of COVID-19, you know, I think something like LBS is going to be paramount because that will tell you an alarm, you know, where people are at. Uh, if you're managing like one-way traffic flows through an event now, uh, it'll help you with your queuing lines, um, and, and you'll you'll just know. So if there's an area of a venue space that has just too many people in it, um, you can take action at that point. So I actually had referenced contact tracing apps at the beginning of this this in the introduction, and 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 let's stick with this LBS for a second here because you're now talking about ways of using Wi-Fi and, and advanced technology and LBS um, as a safety feature. Um, and I mean, I part of me actually bristles a little bit, if I'm being honest, when you talk about tracking people's movement and gathering data and what have you. But but tell us about that, this, the safety. Tell us about the practical application of AI and, and all of, all of that. Sure. Uh, so the LBS platform, while it originally it was really more uh, of like a marketing based solution. So we can see where the footfall traffic was in a, uh, in a, a venue event. Um, so we've, the data is already there. So we, now we're taking the data and we're presenting it uh, to that event owner or manager in a different way. So when events start happening, and again, and the assumption here is that they're going to have to go go live safely, right? So they're going to have social distancing practices. They're going to have you know masks and things like that. Um, here in Tampa, uh, a few weeks ago, they announced that they are going to have the Tampa Bay Comic Con. I think it's uh, in July. So they said, we're doing it, we're having it. Um, but they're going to take some measures to make things more safe. So, you know, part of that is, uh, uh, you know, they're going to handle the queue of traffic, the ingress into the event space. Um, and so it's, it's going to be one-way traffic. So it's not going to be, you know, just hundreds and thousands of people just randomly walking around. It, it's going to be very focused. And I mean, just to be clear, we're not supporting this event. But uh, just as an example, um, using LBS service, um, you can have the information and knowledge of knowing how many people – and keep in mind, the with LBS, we can only check people that have like a cell phone in their pocket. So if you don't have a cell phone you know, with Wi-Fi on it, we can't really tell if you're there. But you don't even have to be connected to the Wi-Fi network as long as your phone is in your pocket. And it has Wi-Fi capabilities that you know Wi-Fi is turned on. We can detect any Wi-Fi device in a in a specific space. Um, so that will give uh, event managers owners the ability uh, to know where all this footfall traffic is. Is there is there too many people up in the right hand corner of the room? Do you need to do we need to disperse people? Um, and then the way that we present that data. Uh, as well. So we have a, a, a heat map visualization, you know, on a, on a TV monitor. Uh, we could also create a custom uh, alarm. Like maybe there's a screen up that's green that says, okay, you can let more people in the room. And then when there's enough people in the room, it turns red, like, oh, hold off, no more people in the room. Uh, we can send alarms and alerts via SMS and email and, uh, you know, any way possible, you know, from a technology standpoint that you can think of. Um, so in large, it's, it's more of an informational service. I mean, we're not going to say your event is going to be safer by using LBS, but having the information and the knowledge and then historically going, being able to go back and see like where people were at, at specific times, I think does have some value. 
So I did also hear that you were somehow perhaps involved in drive-in festivals. Yep. We're, we're about to do our first series of drive-in festivals and also drive-in movie theater uh, deployments uh, here in July. So we haven't done our first one yet. Our, our, our first series of that starts around mid-July. Uh, I think in total we have about nine or ten um, scheduled. Uh, a bunch of them are in Texas. The rest of them uh, are uh, in the Northeast. And I mean, just so I understand the capacity, are you providing simple internet solutions? Are you providing the deliverable of, for instance, audio to people's phones so they're hearing what's happening on stage? What? what tell us yeah, about. It. Yeah. Um, so for the drive-in movies, the desire is to stream the audio through a phone app and then deliver that to the car stereo via Bluetooth or wire, and also provide general internet for attendee production, access control, and point of sale. Uh, on, the fest on the drive-in festival side of things, uh, these facilities in large are, are barren fields and, and lack any permanent infrastructure. Uh, so we're bringing in temporary internet and Wi-Fi to support all the production and, and back-of-house operations. Uh, I have a couple of friends that are putting on drive-in movies just for fun, uh, not for profit at all, uh, and they're using FM transmitters uh, to deliver the audio. Um, it doesn't really sound all that great, and you know, if they were looking to, or if anyone was looking to do this on a, on a larger or commercial scale, they might have to look into applying for an FM broadcast license with the FCC, which is somewhat complex and, and you know, does have some cost involved as well. Dave, with all these different options and things coming about to you know, deliver audio for driving things and to see you know what's happening at shows, what are the privacy concerns? I mean, from I guess the festivals, the 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 promoters, or are there any? It just seems like with all um, this invasive, <clears throat> you know, data mining so, that you know people would be concerned. Yeah. So you know, well, well, first, I mean, we'll, we'll step a couple back, uh, take a couple steps back to like the attendee Wi-Fi, public Wi-Fi. Um, uh, you know, an attendee doesn't have to use the Wi-Fi if they don't want to. So. Uh, when attaching to the Wi-Fi, if you're presented with a splash page that says, here's my terms and conditions, I mean, I can't speak for the T's and C's of every customer, uh, but I'm assuming, you know, they've ran it through legal and it makes sense. So, you know, if you want to connect to this Wi-Fi network, that might mean that you have to log in with Facebook. And now we have your demographic information. We know your age. We know your sex. We know what your likes are on Facebook. And that's just like the contract that you agree to when connecting to a a, a, a public Wi-Fi system. Um, I'm not going to argue for or against it, but I think that's just you know sort of how it works. Uh, with LBS-based services, um, there's not really much personal information that we're collecting. All we're saying is like, hey, there's a device, or there's like 20 devices. Uh, we're not even really tracking like who they are and what they're doing. Uh, we almost never track like what they're doing, um, uh, unless there's the application specifically calls for it. Uh, but with LBS, it's really just saying, hey, there's 10 devices over there. Um, so I don't think there's really any concern uh, related to privacy. Now, contact tracing you know, that's a much different conversation, right? So, you know, uh, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, I believe the concept behind contact tracing is when you have somebody that's known uh, to have been infected with COVID, uh, they interview them and say, hey, 
you know, where have you been? Who have you talked to? Who else might be infected? And then there's the whole technology side of that where there's companies and maybe even governments, I don't know about here in the US, but I know internationally, there's been talk about letting people uh, download an app to their phone and uh, I'm assuming using Bluetooth, be able to tell if they're in close proximity to somebody that had either uh, previously tested positive for COVID-19 and or has the antibodies or might not be infected at all. And I think depending on the country you know, of, of, of origin for this application and where you're physically at, you know, it, it, you know, you might not have any choice in the matter or you might have all the choices in the world. Uh, but I think contact tracing is probably uh, the, the aspect that has, you know, most of the privacy concerns, in my opinion. Um, I'm not going to say if it's right or wrong. Uh, I think if you uh, want to allow, allow yourself to be contact traced, if that's the right way to put it, um, cool. And if you don't, you know, cool, you know. Maybe a well, bummer, but for the other people. <laughs> keep going. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I mean, you know, my personal preference is I have no problem with contact tracing. So, um, you know, if, if I had come in contact with somebody that uh, wound up testing positive for it and, you know, I would want to let my friends know, like, hey, I came in contact with somebody. I came in contact with you. Get yourself checked out. Well, I think it's not limited to Bluetooth technology, for one. I think that there are other means, and they're looking into other ways of, of actually tracking that information right now. But but that's, again, why I've alluded to it a couple of times, that I do think that, to Chris's point, that the contact tracing does lead to privacy concerns. You, you mentioned the TNCs, terms and conditions, um, that are required to log on to a Wi-Fi. Um, you know, I think that... I've said a few times before that, you know, there may be waivers involved in reopening and people needing to sign off saying the promoter, uh, you know, and the artist wouldn't get sued in, in the event of, of uh, you know, transmission. Um, again, our, our president, uh, for better or for worse, um, while he may deny, at least publicly, uh, the existence and the, the threat, um, he is requiring people sign this waiver. Um, because, you know, deep down, uh, somebody is telling him, hey, dumbass, you need to do this. Um, and, and I do think that that does then require not just that, that it requires people to basically give up their freedoms. I, I like to refer to that as the enemy of the state shit, um, where, where they are, their movements are tracked. Their actions are followed. If you go to the bathroom and you're standing next to somebody else that has it, you know, you will get notified that you are standing beside somebody in the bathroom that had uh, COVID-19. It knows when you're getting a drink. It knows when you're taking a shit. It knows when you are <laughs> watching the show. It knows when you are, you know, trying to scam on, you know, a guy or a girl in the, you know, behind the bushes um, at the festival or whatever. Um, again, for better or for worse, me personally, I, I, I struggle with it. Of course, I want to know if I'm in proximity of somebody who has this thing. On the other hand, I, I feel like, uh, you know, it's something about that feels a little bit like communist China, um, where they can track our movement and everything we do. Yeah, I mean, the, the technology is there to do it. And, you know, I, I think the area that might scare me is like the backend databases that are supporting this. It's not really like, you know, like the in-person, like knowing if, you know, there's, 
you know, someone 20 feet away from me that has it. It's the collection of the information. Uh, and, it, and, you know, it's big data, right? I mean, and there's a lot of great uses for big data, but collecting personal information, health information, I mean, it opens up so many different tops, topics of conversation. We can spend the next two days talking about it. I mean, I mean, let's look at, you know, what's going to happen with this waiver, right? So, you know, by having a waiver, it means that you're assuming that without the waiver, that a festival or any type of event owner might be responsible um, for litigation, you know, against litigation, right? So somebody maybe got infected at a festival. I mean, how do we even know? Um, in my head, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, but you know, th- these waivers are probably going to be required for live events for a while, you know, until there's a, if, you know, if, and when there's a vaccine. So there's, you know, that aspect of it, uh, you know, you know, contact tracing, if you're required to be traced in that fashion in order to go to an event, then I think every, that, that, I think that individual just needs to make a decision for him or herself. You know, I'm not going to say if it's right or wrong. Some people think there's a civic responsibility uh, to do certain things like, you know, self-quarantining, uh, wearing a mask in public, and some don't, and some don't care. I think it's also the cost of doing business and the choice that the individual makes. If they want to go to the show and it's, yes. it's worth it to them, then then so be it. They have to give up. And I, they, they, not to give up their rights. How much do they have to give up their right? I, I guess it kind of is. Um, but you have to give up the ability that uh, people want to protect against, you know, and infect the, uh, against the spread. And of course, you're right. It's it's people with the access to the data and what they could do with it that is the threat, not simply the tracing of of the of the spread. Right. Right. Um, Go ahead, please. Oh, and I was going to say, hopefully this won't even be a concern in like six or eight months. Well, exactly. We hope not. But that said, and that's a perfect segue, I think, moving on, um, you know, the application of these Wi-Fi technologies for better include the ability as the technology becomes more readily available and more well-developed for... XR experiences, uh, you know, uh, extended reality, virtual reality, augmented reality, to be able to put on what will be one day soon readily available, you know, high quality Oculus type glasses, Apple glasses that will look just like your sunglasses. Uh, you know, one day it will be a contact lens that you can put in your eye and, and you know, you watch the movie, the original movie Terminator, where Schwarzenegger was able to scan people's and see data and like, this is what's happening. Like that right. is coming and you're going to be able to stand in front of the stage and it requires high quality, sophisticated IT in order to deliver that technology to those headsets for people to have that AR experience. And so tell us a little bit more about, about where we're going. Well, it's, you know, it's a good question. Uh, you know, so networking is going to have a big part of it. Um, you know, some might argue that 5G is going to help fill in that like bandwidth gap. Um, for some of those types of applications, uh, you know, my first experience, real experience with AR in the, in like the event space, um, was at a, a festival? I think it's probably about three years ago now, but Eminem was the headliner. He had this app, 
uh, with with an AR feature that you know you you point your camera up towards the stage and you can choose like different skins and stuff. But there was all this 3D graphical video moving stuff, and it was actually you know pretty cool. Um, I, I couldn't imagine myself as an attendee, uh, you know, looking at that for too long because you got to like have your phone sitting up there and it's, you know, your arms start to get tired after a while. But, um, you know, so that was sort of my, my, my first experience with AR. And then you have like games like Pokemon go, uh, you know, that's, you know, based on augmented reality, you know, I think where it's, it's, it's really going to, you know, become more integrated into our world and society and, and also events is when you have the glasses that are lower cost, lighter weight and can provide more information. Um, you know, I think, I think that's really where it's, it's, it's going to start, you know, becoming mainstream. Uh, you know, right now AR is mostly like for games and, you know, some other basic applications, uh, VR, you know, I'm a huge fan of, um, you know, I have a VR headset here at home, uh, you know, windows mixed reality, you know, I play games on steam and there, there's a bunch of other applications I use and it, it, it's just amazing. Uh, VR. So, you know, if, if the world was in a place today where there's these VR headsets were a cheaper, uh, and also weren't quite as like big and clunky, um, you know, we, we'd be having a conversation right now on like what artist is going to be performing on VR today. Um, and there'd be tickets being sold. Um, I mean, obviously everyone I think here might agree that in-person live events are better. Uh, but VR, I think is going to open up a new business model, uh, that allows people to buy a virtual reality ticket and could sit front row center if they wanted to. Yeah. You mentioned uh, a little while back about LTE and then you just mentioned about 5G, uh, bridging that gap. Uh, and mentioning now about VR, I know there's in, in the audio world, we're concerned about the spectrum and those frequencies being allocated for other things for VR, you know, for, uh, for, um, uh, Wi-Fi and other different things in venues. Are you concerned about that <laughs> as far as knowing that you toured, you know, and, and, and having that impact, you know, how shows are able to even be sure. deployed? Yeah. I mean, like audio control systems, lighting control systems, you know, a lot, a lot of the older platforms were based on 2.4 gigahertz, uh, which is not, you know, a great area to be in. You have three non-overlapping channels and that's it. Uh, with five gigahertz, you have many, many more non-overlapping channels. You can actually bond these. I mean, you can bond some channels together in two, four, uh, but you can get a pretty wide channel width uh, out of five gigahertz. Uh, the next generation of Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi six. So this, uh, you know, increases the number of frequencies and channels that can be used and can be bonded. It's going to increase performance. Uh, so there, there's a lot of frequencies out there uh, that, could be available to use. Uh, you know, the FCC ultimately makes those decisions on what requi what requirements there are to be licensed or unlicensed. Um, so I think you know it, it, it's going to evolve over time. Uh, you know, five gigahertz space is usually a pretty safe space to play in. Uh, you know, Wi-Fi six once these devices start uh, become more readily available. Uh, by enterprise manufacturers like Cisco and Aruba and Ruckus, uh, you know we're going to see things the land the Wi-Fi landscape uh, change a little bit. Uh, you know, in five gigahertz land, uh, you know the uh, 
you know, all the frequencies have been uh, licensed and allocated, and they're they're going to continue to have more auctions uh, for that space, I think. Um, but I mean, we we are nowhere near any significant deployment for 5G in this country. I mean, I think you know, over the past six months, I've like. Somewhere in, I think I was in Grant Park in Chicago. Uh, they had a micro cell that you know gives you all of about maybe fifty to hundred feet of five G service from wherever their uh, from wherever the radio was. Uh, but I mean, I haven't really seen it anywhere else. And I think the first iterations that we're really going to see on a, on a wide scale deployment. It's going to be the replacement of like home cable service, um, like FiOS and Comcast and Cox and you know Charter Spectrum, Bright House, all those companies. I think the main focus is going to be getting rid of those cables into the homes and small businesses, um, and then also you know machine to machine networks uh, that require a high level of reliability. There's going to be focus on that, but getting giving you like ten gigabits per second throughput to your iPhone. That's not coming for a very, very long time, if ever. If ever. I don't like the sound of if ever. Yeah, well, I mean, could you imagine if everyone had 10 gig to their phone? I mean, the internet wouldn't be able to handle that. <laughs> you have to upgrade the internet first before you roll that out to the to, to the to the consumer world. Um, but I mean, you know, we get pretty good speeds on our iPhones now. I mean, with Verizon uh, on their LTE X network. You know, I'm getting 150, 200 megabits download per second, which for a phone is pretty, pretty great. Well, I think we get comfortable what we have, and and then we always <laughs> want more. Is really what it is. Sure, but but I but I think that to your point, you know, 5G is a is a substantial step forward, um, and 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 just realistically. When do you think that that becomes a reality? I, I realize I'm asking you to look into your crystal ball, but wh- when does that become available? And as again, I, I, I think about the uh, you know XR technologies become more readily, not just available and utilized, but in, you know, but actually created. Um, you know, when, when is that possible? Is it two years from now? Is it three years from now? When, when is that? I, I, you know, if I had a guess, I would say three to five years till it's, you know, widely deployed. Uh, and, you know, there's different areas of 5G. All 5G is not created equal. I mean, you have a low band and mid band and you have high band 5G. I think what we're going to see deployed first um, are these lower band uh, deployments, uh, 600, 700 megahertz. Uh, it's, it's similar frequency range as, as 4G, uh, but the download speeds are a little bit higher than 4G. So uh, with the lower band 5G, you can get anywhere between 30 and 250 megabits per second. Uh, the distance between the cell tower or the, the cellular radio could be a longer distance. Once we start getting into the higher bands, you have to be physically closer to the radio. Uh, but throughput speeds grow a lot. So you go from instead of 30 to like 250 megabits per second, you go from like 100 megabits per second to like a gigabit per second. Um, so there, there's a lot of things that, that are going to have to go into these uh, cellular infrastructure upgrades. You have to replace radios. You have to replace whole cell towers in some instances, uh, the backhaul traffic. So you might have a cell tower somewhere. How does that cell tower get to the network? How does it get to the internet? Does it have fiber or is it using a, a, a licensed microwave backhaul? You know, licensed microwave backhauls at even short distances, you know, if, you know, if you're lucky, you get 10 gigabits per second. So if you're supporting, you know, 
8,000 users on a cell tower and you only have a 10 gig connection uh, with 5G support for these end users, that's not going to be sufficient. And there's some there's some licensed radio technology that can go well beyond 10 gig. But you know, if if you have a fiber based cell tower for that backhaul, uh, maybe they have a 10 gig connection today. Might have to be a 100 gig connection. Might have to be higher. You know, in the future to support uh, all this new 5G service. So there's billions of dollars that have to go into these upgrades. Um, so I, I think it's going to take a while. Well, to our listeners out there, again, we've been talking about, you know, the evolution of technology and the concert is industry as a technology business. But I, I think that people right now, our listeners, ha have got to be asking some of the same questions that I have that I know Chris and Christine have, just in terms of where we're going and, and just thinking about, you know, I, I just think this is very eye-opening to think about what's to come, what, what we don't know, and, and what may be possible with the evolution of, of, in, of internet technologies. Yeah, and I, you know, I could be wrong about the five G thing. I've been wrong before, but I, I just don't really seeing it widely deployed. You know, definitely not this year. I mean, for not you know, partially because of COVID, but um, just because with even without COVID, I, I don't think we're going to see a lot of activity. Um, you know, even next year, you know, we're we're going to start seeing things deployed mostly in like major markets. You know, Chicago, Midtown Manhattan downtown Los Angeles, those markets are probably going to see some of that first. Um, but it's, it's, it's a huge project. I mean, if we want to get into those upper bands where you're going to get like super crazy fast speeds, you have to be very, very close to that cell tower or that cell radio uh, in, in order to get that service. And that requires microcell deployments. It's very expensive. Uh, you have to have some type of backhaul uh, to the network. And it's, it's not easy to do. So we, we have a minute, in my opinion. With everybody being locked up, do you see that being a push, though? I mean, as far as like Fortnite, like we saw what happened on Fortnite with Travis Scott and how big that, you know, was a push and mentioning, you know, people cutting the cord and not having, you know, a home Internet service and using, you know, local Wi-Fi or using, you know, their actual cell phone service. Is that going to be the push now? You know, it can be. Um I mean, you know, as a technology business owner, um, I mean, we, you know, we started making some decisions to pivot our business, you know, way back in February, you know, even before, you know, it was really known, you know, to be a pandemic. But, you know, we do a lot of international stuff and we have a lot of, you know, contacts. And so we know what the word on the street is, you know, even outside of this country. Um, so, you know, we saw this stuff coming in February. And as a business, we pivoted, you know, we're doing virtual live events and we've developed this this other these other technologies we've already discussed to 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 help live events go safer. Um, and I think, you know, some of these other telecommunication companies, much, much larger than I, are, you know, they looked at that and said, okay, well, you know, people are going to be inside for a while. They're going to need network. You know, do we need to pivot? Do we need to shift? 
Um, if I was them, you know, certainly it's it's a conversation. Um, you know, there, there's too many unknowns right now with this pandemic, with this virus. If we compare it to past viruses, like the I think we talked earlier or before before we started the podcast about the the, the Hong Kong flu in '68 and '69. You know, hundred thousand U.S. citizens dead, one between one and four million dead uh, internationally. Um, you know, it's it's what we now refer to as influenza A. There was a, a vaccine that came out uh, roughly a year after uh, they discovered that uh, that new virus. So, um, if we're in a situation where we have a vaccine, you know, within the next year, you know, I, you know, I don't think there's going to be a huge shift because of COVID and because of quarantining. Um, you know, certainly internet backbones have been upgraded. Uh, application providers like Netflix, like Zoom, like Cisco WebEx, you know, they've certainly scaled up for sure. Um, will telecommunication providers do that in the world of LTE and 5G? I don't know if that, you know, if COVID is, uh, you know, enough of a uh, an event to, you know, force them to rapidly deploy and spend, you know, tens of billions of dollars just to maybe be a few months quicker before there might be a vaccine. You know what I'm saying? Just opinion. We like opinions here. We like lots of opinions. <laughs> well, Dave, you've been fantastic. We've already taken over an hour of your time. I, I think that there is, again, just so much to unpack here. And the more this technology evolves into the greater the need for IT solutions, uh, I've said this to others, but uh, I feel like I mean it even more now. We would definitely like to have you back on the program. Uh, you know, a year from now, three years from now, five years from now, I feel like the conversations could be drastically different. Um, certainly, I hope these technologies uh, evolve appropriately and as we are able to absorb them and and make take advantage of them but but uh, you know as quickly as as benefits the concert industry and those of us who who thrive on creating just incredible experiences and moments for our for our listeners and for for the 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 concert industry and audiences worldwide um with that in mind, if we move into our what we call the quick hits before we wrap today, uh, um, was JT and Jay Z your first tour, or is or were you? Uh, that was the first tour I personally uh, was on. It was also the last tours <laughs> that I was on. Uh, maybe a topic for another day, but um, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, these days I I send other guys out copy that well, is there a single best moment or experience you can relay um you know for me live events is uh i mean you know i, I love fixing things and solving business and technical solutions and you know i love happy customers and knowing i'm making a difference in their business and technical world uh for me though you know the uh, you know my influence is the fans uh, knowing that I'm helping bring, you know, a level of excitement to their lives. That's really, uh, you know, what drives me overall in this industry. And, you know, probably, you know, one of the first, uh, you know, events that, you know, I did on the, uh, on the stadium tour, you know, just, you know, sitting behind the stage and just watching like 40,000 people lose their mind. 
you know, was probably the highlight. Uh, other highlights, uh, Miss Christine Dallas. You know, she made, uh, you know, she brought me under her wing, showed me what to do. She, more importantly, told me what not to do. Um, we had a lot of fun. We went out and got some great food. You know, I love being on the road. Um, you know, so th- those are the things that, you know, come to, uh, you know, my mind initially. Nice shout out to Dallas. I I happen to share both of those opinions, so I'm glad that you said all of that. Um, Looking ahead, is there anything, any one thing about this industry you think we could be doing better? From my view? Yes, sir. Oh, man. That's a a low question. Um, You know, I I don't know. I mean, that – yeah, well, yes. I mean, everybody can always be doing better. There's always better ways to do things. There's smarter way to do things. There's cheaper way to do things. Um, you know, one specific thing. I'm, I'm. I don't know if I want to start calling things out, but um, you know, the, actually, I, I am going to uh, interrupt you. And one thing I did want to mention is, you know, we're involved uh, in the Go Live Together uh, platform uh, started by GPJ and Freeman XP. Uh, so, you know, go live together.com, check it out. Hashtag go live together. Um, you know, their, their focus is helping address the economic impact, the legislation, safety resources, guidance for everyone involved in the live event industry. Well, you kind of took my next question about parting <laughs> shots and shout outs out of my mouth. I, I will say, Dave, I think your internet connection is lagging a little bit, as my son would say. Um, Dave did tell us to our viewers beforehand that he's in Tampa right now, that it is storming outside. And uh, apologies to anyone who may have had difficulty hearing what he just said. Uh, but it, and, and before we lose you, do you have any other shout outs or parting shots you'd like to extend? No, I, you know, I appreciate you inviting me to this platform and I hope I provided some valuable information, you know, thought leadership that's out there. You know, hopefully this provides value for everybody. Hugely valuable indeed. Dave Bauman, Backstage Networks. I know his website, website is bsnlive.com. Dave, tell us again, what was that other website? Oh, go live together, go live together.com. You can also search for hashtag go live together. Um, a lot of great information. Uh, you know, we're one of the founding, uh, partners, uh, uh, of that system. Again, GPJ Freeman XP, uh, uh, banded together to, to start this initiative to address the economic impact, the much needed le- legislation, safety resources and guidance and COVID-19 resources for the live event industry, because I think the live event industry is uh, disproportionately being affected uh, by COVID-19. We were the first to get cut and we're going to be the last to come back. So we need help. Sad, but true. And I appreciate all of that. Uh, To our viewers out there, please do check out everything Dave said. Uh, Again, so much to think about. I can't wait to have you back to talk more about it. Uh, But until the next time, to our viewers, thanks, thanks to you. We appreciate you tuning in. You know where you can find us at HLUB Podcast on Instagram, hustlelikeyoubroke.com. Send us your questions. Let us know your thoughts. We appreciate every one of you. Thank you and good night.